looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Joe, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 86 of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Dwoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for another Out of This World episode. How out of this world is this episode? You're going to be phoning home. You're going to be picking up the phone and phoning everyone you know after you listen to my interview with Dee Wallace. That's right, Dee Wallace. She played the mom in E.T. You loved her in The Howling, The Hills Have Eyes, Cujo, and hundreds of other things. Dee also is the author of the book Born. And she's written many books, and we're going to talk about her brand new one, Born. It's amazing. It's a primer to help manifest everything you want in your life. And we tie it into her whole career and how she's managed to be so successful. You're going to love it. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to be inspired. Can't wait for you to hear it. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. If you got a pencil, jot down. Episode 24 is a quick reminder. That's the episode with Suze Lanier. She was Dee's co-star in Wes Craven's The Hills Have Eyes. So if you want to hear even more stories from the set of that movie, check out episode 24 with Suze Lanier. Also, while you have your favorite podcast app open, listening to Live from Detroit, The Jeff Duoskin Show. If you haven't, definitely check out episode 84 with Nicholas Hammond. 1977's The Amazing Spider-Man. We talk all about that amazing live action show where he started as the very first Peter Parker and Spider-Man combination. We talk about his time in The Sound of Music and the original Lord of the Flies movie. Such an amazing interview. And also, I do want to do a quick shout out to the Amazing Spider-Man TV series fan page on both Twitter and Facebook. They were so supportive of the interview. I can't thank them enough. Also, the Amazing Spider-Man 77 fan group, so supportive. There's so much love for that show and Nicholas Hammond. It was great to see it, and it was such an honor to talk to him. So definitely check that episode out. And I got to say, one of the reasons I wanted to make sure to shout them out, after I interviewed Fred Grandy, gopher from The Love Boat, I had reached out to a fan group on Facebook, a Love Boat fan group, and nicely asked their administrator, Hey, I have this interview. I have a couple interviews. I also interviewed Ted Lange, Isaac from The Love Boat. Would you like me to share them or would you like to share them? And they blocked me. I got blocked by The Love Boat. Not the real Love Boat. That'd be cruel. But the um, but a fan group. And I didn't spam. I didn't even put the URL in the DM. Nothing. Everyone, that's how you do it, by the way. A little pre-social media tip. You reach out and you just ask. If you ask, they can say no. I don't know why they blocked me, but they did. So I don't have any access to Love Boat on Facebook. Such a sad tale. But anyway, check out Fred Grandy, episode 81. That was awesome. And I hope you all are loving my bonus episodes that pull highlights from my live show, Crossing the Streams. Of course, you're still welcome to join us every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time to listen to the shows live. You can head over to YouTube as well. Over 52 hours of television binge-watching suggestions await you. And now every Thursday, right here in this feed, live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show, offering up a bonus episode. We put three segments in each episode. You can just listen and start watching TV. Start preparing emails, notes, and texts to your family that you're going to be busy for a long time. And now it's time for the social media tip. This is the part of the show where I love to share some of my social media knowledge or just sometimes also just some fancy things I learned about my phone with you. I've been in the social media biz for many, many years, and I love to just share what I learn on the street, a little 411, if you will, so that we can all raise our social game together. While I gave you kind of a social media tip just earlier in the show about reaching out to admins in Facebook groups, if you want to share some of your own information from websites or blogs, I'll have a quick phone tip for you. So the I knew iOS rolled out and my wife immediately was annoyed because the Safari on the iPhones moved the search bar, the URL bar to the bottom. It was driving her crazy. I didn't think much of it. I was like, 
What's the big deal? And then I bump into a friend, Norm. And my friend Norm's like, oh, God, what the heck is this? This is the worst because my finger does this and that and all that. So anyway, so I found out how to change it. So I'm sharing it with you so you can change the world. You go to settings and your iPhone and then you scroll down to Safari and you click on Safari and you scroll down a little bit. They've pre-selected tab bar. Just change that to single tab and it's right back the way it was. You can type in your URLs at the very top like God intended. And that's it. Enjoy. And that's a social media tip. I do want to thank everyone in advance for their support of the sponsors. When you're supporting the sponsors, you're supporting us here live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. Today's interview sponsor is Camber's Auto Repair. Family owned and operated since 1978. Specializing in pintos and animal damage. Camber... (laughs) Quiet, boy. I'm doing a commercial. Camber's Auto Repair for all your auto repair needs. All right. Look them up on the web. Tell them you heard about them on Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. As a matter of fact, any of the sponsors, let them know you heard about them on Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. And with that, please enjoy my amazing conversation with the wonderful and out of this world, D. Wallace. Enjoy. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce my next guest, actress, author, healer. You've loved her in E.T., Cujo, The Howling, The Hills Have Eyes. And she's the author of many books, including the very newly released book, Born, available now. We're going to discuss it all. Welcome to the show, Dee Wallace. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I'm so glad to be here. So glad to have you here. This is exciting. Thanks. I think my uh, original admiration for you comes from E.T. I understand you're from Kansas City. I read an interesting tidbit. You went to the same school, probably not at the same time, maybe, as Ed Asner, but you guys are both from Kansas City. You guys, Paul Rudd. How many other famous people are from there? Kirstie Alley's from Kansas. I'm not sure if she's from Kansas City. There's a few others. Yeah. Uh, You know, we Midwesterners, there's just something about us that comes off real and genuine that people like. Absolutely. So how did um, Kansas City Girl make it to the big city, New York? By being really naive (laughs) and by pretty much following everything that I write about in Born. I had never been out of Kansas in my life. And I graduated from the University of Kansas with a degree in education, taught a year of high school, and thought, if I don't get out of here and follow my dream, I ain't ever going to get out of here. In the library where I taught high school, we got the New York Times. And in the New York Times was an article uh, that Hal Prince was looking for an unknown to star in what was to become a little night music. So I wrote him this very cheesy letter about just think a girl from Kansas and and took an even cheesier picture laying on my bed by my brother's friend who was the photographer for the school newspaper. And I sent him off to Hal Prince. And three weeks later, Hal Prince his secretary called and said, Mr. Prince got your letter and he would like to fly you to New York to audition. Okay, so not a real blonde, but raised very um, to be very uh, truthful. And I said, oh, well, when does Mr. Prince need me there? And she gave me the date. And I said, well, wow, I've got a ticket to fly in that day. Uh, what time does he need me? Five o'clock. Oh, well, I get in at two, right? <laughs> you know, he would have paid me first class, the whole shebang, put me up somewhere. But so the day I arrived in New York, uh, I sent every belonging that I had, put it in a taxi, said, here, can you take it to this address, please? And everything got there. And uh, I went to Rockefeller Center and auditioned for Hal Print. And I got down to the last five girls in the singing and the dancing. Uh, I'm sorry, in the dancing and the acting. And then his assistant said, all right, well, Mr. Prince would like to hear you sing now. And I went, oh, uh, 
I didn't know we had to sing. And she looked at me and she said, well, dear, it is a musical. (laughs) (laughs) So my first day in New York, I sang happy birthday for Hal Prince. But that's what I mean. I just, I knew I wanted to be a professional actress. I was excited and loved the idea. I thought, you know, if, if I don't make it, I'll come back and teach school. So off I went and the universe just took me everywhere I needed to go. Every, I mean, it's crazy. And that's kind of how my life goes. D, quick question. Which do you think was scarier, auditioning for Mr. Prince or putting all your stuff blindly into that taxi? Oh, I didn't worry about my stuff at all. (laughs) I didn't. I mean, everybody looks at me like I'm crazy now going, my God, you put everything you had in a taxi in New York and it got never occurred to me. But that's what I mean. See, fear, fear sets you up for creating the very things you don't want. I walked right into that one, didn't I? Yeah, you did, babe. All right. No, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, you're right. You have to overcome those fears. We have to get rid of those preconceived notions that we have in life to keep moving forward. Well, you know why? Because whatever you fear, you keep your focus on. And religion and spirituality and brain science will all tell you whatever you focus on, you create. I believe that. You only want to focus on what you want, guys. That is that is true. Law of attraction. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand law of attraction. Well, you're here to school them. We're going <laughs> to, at the end okay. of this, everyone is going to be in the church of D. <laughs> oh, God. No pressure there. All right, then. <laughs> awesome. So... Oh, you know what? Not going in order or anything like this, but I talked to, I had on my podcast, Suze Lanier. Yeah. I know you know. Yeah. Actually, it was probably about a year ago that I talked to her. Your co-star from The Hills Have Eyes. Oh my God. I probably went a thousand times into the DM to go to your DM on Twitter. I was going to be to try and get you on the show. And I think I chickened out, but eventually I did. So the universe brought us together eventually. This was like your second movie, right? That you did, The Hills Have Eyes? Yeah, my first movie, (laughs) which kind of sums up my life. My first movie was a religious film, and then I went right into a horror film. (laughs) So today I spend half my life doing mostly horror films, and the other half of my life teaching people how to heal themselves from fear. Somehow it works out really well for me. Yeah, it definitely looks that way. Is there, do you just end up in horror films or you just happen to love doing horror films? You just love being a scream queen or just. I didn't look for horror films. What I love is to play. I have a big emotional life and I love to use that. It just happens that the horror genre is one of the best genres to allow you to play a lot of emotional peaks and valleys. So I was really good at it and I was really believable at it. And so they just kept coming toward me. But, you know, I've got a a beautiful little film on Hallmark for Christmas right now called Every Time a Bell Rings. So I'm happy that I can do everything. Do you see that as one of the keys to your success? I mean, you've got hundreds of, of acting credits, like just to not be stuck in a genre. Because a lot of times people will get stuck in a genre. They'll get seen only one way. You seem to have overcome that. Yeah, I, I pretty much do everything. Uh, if there was one thing I'm stuck in, it would probably be mothers. You know, I play a lot of mothers, but I play every kind of conceivable mother there is. Even mothers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, man. What was it like working with Wes, Wes Craven? You know, it was interesting. Um, Wes is very much like the college professor that he started out to be. Very quiet. I remember him as somewhat introverted. Knew exactly what he wanted, but just very different from the Steven Spielberg kind of presence on the set. Budgets were different too. So I imagine that that played into some of the way things played out. Well, yes, but people express a presence and that comes just from who they are and how they're comfortable dealing in life. And Wes was more comfortable quietly being kind of in the background telling everybody what he needed. Gotcha. 
and it's worked amazingly well for a lot of his pictures. So, oh yeah, he's a master, absolutely. So to, to be like into the horror genre and to be in a Wes Craven movie right out the bat, especially The Hills Have Eyes, such a classic. Nice kickstart to the career. Yeah, well, it wasn't a classic when we did it. You know, <laughs> when we did it, it was everybody, pretty much everybody's first film. And it was like, holy shit, I've got a lead in a film. <laughs> you know, I think we all probably got paid scale. Maybe Susan got paid more. We had to drive literally to the Mojave Desert every day. And finally, my husband said, you know, this is too dangerous. So I just spent most of my salary staying in a Motel 6 because it really was just dangerous to drive back and forth that much, as tired as we were. And we had one trailer for all the actors. And the toilet broke. I mean, it it was let's put on a show, okay? Oh, my, my. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time in my car. That's funny. I did notice you die in this movie. So you die in a, in a bunch of films, but you didn't, and then don't get to be in the sequels. Do you regret <laughs> the howling you die? You didn't get, there were I, like 50 howling sequels. Yeah. I don't regret not being in any of the howling sequels. <laughs> no, no, I didn't, I didn't think you did. I was, I was just joking. But the Hills has, the Hills have eyes. There's a scene where it, to me, like uh, the cannibal killers is supposed to be the scary part. But to me, like the real scary part is you dealing with that giant spider on your stuff. Oh, sh- <laughs> you know, I mean, the movie could have been called The Hills Have Giant Spiders Crawling on Your Stuff. And that would have been that would have been scary enough. You know, and they told me, oh, no, 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 it's fine. It can't hurt you, D. And then after I did the scene. The guy came up to me and said, you know, they can hurt you, but we milk them. I said, you what? We milk them. We milk their poison out. So they, if they bite you, they can't hurt you. I went, good to know now. <laughs> oh, so much stuff happened. You know, we had, we had people learning on the set. I was supposed to go do this scene. My makeup wasn't ready. The lovely woman playing my mother was ready. And so they took her out, put a squib on her. She had to get shot in the chest. Right, trying to save you and the baby. Put a squib on her, and they didn't put it on tightly enough. And when it went off during the scene, it damaged her breast. Oh, no. So, you know, people, I mean, stuff like this happens on just, I mean, she was fine. She was fine. I want everybody to know she was fine. But- Stuff like this happens on sets frequently because it's just the nature of, you know, when you're working with re- with dogs. And I've got to say, I never felt safer on any set I, I've been on than I was with Cujo. Those dogs were all trained to go after toys. And we actually had to tie their tails down because they were wagging them so much. <laughs> they were so well-trained. I still put my hand through the glass when I wasn't supposed to. And I was so beaten and bruised and exhausted at the end of that film, man. <laughs> hardest thing I've ever done, that one. Well, I don't doubt that it was the hardest thing you've ever done. It's it's all there right on the screen. Thank you. That was that was powerful. I mean you crushed that one. I mean like amazing. It was I, I was thinking that movie could also have been called Stuck in a Pinto. Yeah, if I never see a Pinto again in my life, it'll be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard you talking that it was actually cold when you were filming this. Yeah, it was. It was uh, Northern California in November and December. And so I looked over at Danny one time and his lips were like quivering. And, you know, we had no clothes on and they had to spray us down before every scene. And so I asked Louis Teague, our wonderful director, and I said, Louis, is there any way you can put a heater in the front of the car for us? So they did. They punched a hole, yet another hole in the Pinto. Yeah, and and we finished with a heater in the front of the car, which helped considerably. Well, the reason that I I happen to mention it is when watching Cujo, like I was getting, maybe it's, you know, having a kid myself and all that, but like it's, I was literally there while he, like, well, the heat and him dehydrating and 
it just it I've never seen a scene played so hot before. <laughs> and then so when you yeah. when I heard you say, Oh, it's freezing, it was so cold, I was like, Are you kidding me? Because like I was like getting nervous. I'm like, Oh, this, this kid's gonna really get it. And I was just like We did our job then, didn't we? That's what I'm saying. I was just like yeah. it, was, it was like one of those things where you find out you're like, Oh no, God. A lot of these are iconic. Cujo is like one of those movies too. Anytime a dog barks, you know, someone will go, even before seeing the movie, it would be easy Cujo. Yeah. It's become a part of our culture. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many little chihuahuas come by my tables at the conventions named Cujo. (laughs) Little chihuahuas. Yeah. Oh man, that's funny. Well, I was doing some research after watching it. I was like, it was just interesting that they, I think they had what, five main dogs and then each one was trained to do something specific. It's a fascinating, the whole dog training thing and how they, they do that. Yeah, one was a jumper, one was a barker, one was a lunger, but those dogs were trained within an inch of their lives, let me tell you. It was it rough, was, rough yeah, on the dogs. And Carl Miller, the trainer, even slept in the barn with the dogs. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They were much better taken care of than I was. All you animal (laughs) lovers out there, just just know that. um, Because I made sure, I said, Dan, you know what an animal lover I am to our producer, Dan Blatt. I said, can you promise me that these dogs are absolutely the Carl Miller, you know, we have a vet on the set at all times. Not a doctor, but a vet. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wow. So I, I dug up some trivia on it. It oh, said there dear. was a uh, a backup dog suit that could be put on a Labrador retriever, but was never yep. used. <laughs> That's true. We had two Labradors there uh, in case the St. Bernards wouldn't or couldn't do something, but it was never used. We had a, a stuntman in a dog suit which um, I have a hysterical picture of that on my table. We were, he and Lewis and I are doing a kick line together with him in the dog suit. He really didn't do a lot of shots in the movie. The big attack scene in the car is me with a stuntman and the stuntwoman with the real dog all intercut. Brilliant editing, I might add. And the scene where he rams himself into the car, the dog keeps right, running. Right, right. And in the stepman did parts of that. And then we had a head on a, a spring that we released so that you it felt like he was hitting it really hard. But other than that, the real dogs did most of the work. They did a great job. <laughs> yeah, they did. Y'all did a great job. It was, uh, it was okay. And then, uh, I read that while <laughs> Stephen King doesn't even remember writing the book, <laughs> that was, uh, I guess it was during one of his uh, phases. He believes the movie and your performance top notch. I compare that to him not liking Stanley Kubrick and The Shining, but you, you won over Stephen King. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, he he very graciously mentions on his site that I should have gotten an Oscar for that or been up for an Oscar for it. I can't say that I disagree with him, (laughs) but you know, those kind of films, they never, they just never do. No, but which is a shame because uh, I will also put on my website one day that you deserved an Oscar nomination for that as well. You you did. You crossed, you killed that. Thank you. I wonder if watching it now as a parent, I even appreciated it even more. Oh, it'll be a whole different movie if you watch it now. I hear that all the time. You know, it scared the hell out of me when I was young. But now that I'm a parent, I just viscerally feel it in an entirely different way. How old is your kid? Oh, my kids are uh, uh, 22 and 19. You don't look old enough to have 22 and 19. Can you put that on your website? (laughs) (laughs) You look like a kid yourself. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I also read that the Tad, uh, your son actually dies in the book. So that was a good that they, I like that they changed that for the movie. Oh, yeah. Stephen actually um, called after he saw the, the screening and said, thank God you didn't kill the kid at the end. He never got more hate mail for anything than when he killed Tad at the end of that book. And Dan Blatt asked me and I said, are you kidding 
we can't put people through what we're putting them through for two hours. Half the people aren't going to have even read the book. No, you can't kill the kid at the end. And everybody was sort of in agreement. And so we didn't. I, yeah, because the movie's emotionally exhausting. If that happened at the end, I think you just would, everyone would walk away dead inside. But uh, no, it, it works. This is one of three films that you did with Christopher Stone, your husband. Yeah, we were engaged when we did The Howling together. I did not get him the part. Dan called and said, you know, we've got a pretty good cast, but we can't find somebody to play your husband. And I said, well, what are you looking for? And he explained the part. And I'm sitting there going, holy hell, I'm engaged to this guy and he's an actor. But I knew if I said that, that would kill it right there. So I said, you know, I, I worked on chips with this guy, Christopher Smith or Stone or some S name. So they went out and found him. He went in and auditioned and got the part. And the next day, Dan calls me. Well, he calls and I answer and he goes, D? And I said, hey, Dan. He said, I'm, I'm sorry. I must have called the wrong number. You know, that guy you suggested, we really liked him and we hired him and I was calling to talk to him. I went, no, you've got the right number. And there was this long pause. And then I hear, oh, shit. <laughs> he thought we were going to gang up on him, you know, but I said, look, you only have to get one trailer. Look at it that way. That's awesome. Ultimately, they were very happy that Chris was there because those were back in the days when I really, I was really out there doing those parts. Chris was somebody who could bring me back pretty easily. That's great. There was a, a recently, uh, your daughter uh, had a, yes. was it a TikTok video? Yeah, uh, yeah. Where, where she got to see the howling and you and Christopher and the howling together. and Yeah, it was the release of the 4K version, which is absolutely stunning if anybody wants to pick it up. It's it's just a beautiful print. When I rewatched it, I didn't watch a 4K version, but that would have been nice. But, but that's cool. I thought that was so nice. That your daughter's video was so sweet. It was so nice. Yeah, she's pretty good at those things. I, I did some research on this and says at the end, when you turn into the werewolf, you wanted your own unique look. Is that true? Well, I wouldn't put it that way. I was shooting Cujo. And for some reason, I had it in my contract that my character would never appear as a werewolf. I don't know. I guess back then it was important for some reason. Joe Dante called me and said, D, everybody, all the test audiences want to see. I said, I don't care, Joe. I don't care. But can you make her a little vulnerable since she's fought so hard? So they came up with this Bambi werewolf. It's all an animatronic. That's Joe's sense of humor for you. He just, and Joe, you know, paid for all the film clips in the howling. Uh, the studio wouldn't ante up and he paid for everything. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. I read this led to him getting gremlins. This was, yeah. it's cool when you hear stories that people are so dedicated or committed to a project when they put their own money out. Well, you bet. He just knew that it was going to raise the film up and make it more of an A film. And he was right. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was funny when I was watching it, <laughs> I was like, I get that you were trying to expose the werewolves on TV, but then I was thinking, oh, you're about to get killed on TV. That's going to do irreputable damage to everybody watching <laughs> <laughs> to watch this someone know, shot down. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I think you're just a softy. That's what I think. <laughs> That was, that was what was going through my head. I'm like, oh, the, the, the trauma of everyone seeing not the werewolf, but you being killed. <laughs> uh, just went through my head. I just said that was that was that. And then after this, E.T. Yeah, go figure. How did what was the audition process like for E.T. getting that role? I did not audition for E.T. Of course. Yeah, I didn't mean to insult you and say you auditioned when you uh, walked. I, let me rephrase when you walked into the movie studio. How were you? Well, received? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Usually I would have had to audition for it, but I had auditioned about a year earlier for a film called Used Cars that Stephen did that I did not get. But Stephen works very, very far in the future. So he was already working on E.T. And when he saw me, he saw the quality he wanted for Mary. And when E.T. came about, he just called and offered me the role of Mary. Again, you see... 
the universe just taking me where I'm supposed to be. That's unheard of in, in Hollywood at the beginning of a career. Especially I'd imagine a Spielberg movie. That's awesome though. He probably crushed the other audition. Maybe it just was the role didn't mash up and that was the path to E.T., not to that movie, right? I, I have no idea, no recollection of reading for that other movie, except I can see the room. It was just Stephen and I in some kind of empty room in an office building. And that's all I remember from auditioning for used cars. What is it like, like to be in like, you're E.T., you're an E.T. The, uh, that's like one of the biggest movies ever. Like, I don't mean even dollars wise. So, I mean, just in the, just in terms of cultural psyche, pop culture, everything. I mean, it's just it's, yep. it's just one of the biggest important movies ever. It's our Wizard of Oz for sure. And yes, yes. I am. The thing I'm happiest about most is how many people's lives it has and continues to touch and change. I believe it. I believe. It. I remember going to CET. And it was like weird if you didn't cry, like 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 yeah. people would just talk about it like they were just bawling watching that movie. It was just it was just such a beautiful and emotional story, really amazing. I uh, I met Henry Thomas once. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a sweet kid, yeah. sweet guy, sweet man. Now you know I don't think again it's by accident that I ended up doing ET because here I am doing healing work now all about keeping your heart open and loving yourself in order to create the life you want. And that's really what the movie's about. Yeah, you're right. I know. Kind of weird, huh? Everything connects. Let's talk about your book. Let's just use that as a, the perfect way to kind of talk about Born. Do you want to kind of give everyone like a, a quick summation? Born is literally a primer, an easy read primer about the simple steps that you need to have in place to manifest what you want in your life. It's written really like I talk, like the girl next door. It's simple. It's easy to understand. It explains why religion and spirituality and brain science are all saying the same thing. Kind of brings it all together in a real simple way. I lead quite a miraculous life. Things just come to me instead of me struggling like I used to, like I was taught to, like most of us are taught to. When you know and you're very clear about what you want and you commit to it and you feel a lot of love and joy around it, it'll come to you. Why do you think it's so common that people are just brought up to to feel like they have to struggle or the hill is so high? I think it's sins of the fathers passed down over and over and over and over and over and over. That becomes a belief system. And whatever you believe, you're going to create. It says in the good book, as you believe, it is delivered to you. Brain science says whatever you focus on, that's what you create in your life. So many of us are given some good beliefs and some limiting fearful beliefs. And it's up to us to rewrite whatever beliefs don't fit the life that we want to create. For example, one of the things that I was taught, I come from a very poor family and I wouldn't say terribly religious, but we went to church every Sunday and it was a big part of my growing up. So I was taught, you know, they're the rich people. We're the good people. God loves the humble people. God loves the meek and the poor people. Cut to 30 years later, and I'm starring in E.T. and making all this money. And I went, oh, my God, I'm one of them. And God doesn't love me. And everybody's judging me. And that was really the beginning of a lot of this work. Because I went, I don't believe that. I believe that I have a choice about how much money I make and what I do with it, and the consciousness that directs that. So the more money that I bring in, and the more success I bring in to myself, the more my cup runneth over, and I have stuff to share with everybody else. Do you know that how we see ourselves in the world, and our self-esteem around that, is locked into our brains by eight years old? I did not know that. Yep. 
if you keep hitting the same wall around money or relationships or success or health, you keep hitting the same walls, go back to your childhood and write down everything that you were told verbally and then write down everything that was modeled to you, that you watched. And you will see where your belief systems are that are creating the walls that are holding you back. And you can change them. You have a choice to change them. What's the first step to changing? The first step is choosing to. (laughs) Okay, good. The first step of any creation is choice, anything. You have to know what you want and you have to be willing to do what you need to do to create what you want. Let's just take that belief for an example. I, what I wanted to believe was that God, and I want to be clear with everybody, whatever your term for God is, is fine. The force, Buddha, whatever it is, the energy doesn't care what you call it. I wanted to know that I was at choice about how my consciousness created myself. And as soon as I made that decision, all this information kept came running into me. The I am discourses and brain science. And it, it was crazy. I felt like I went back to college for a while. I went, are you serious? I have to freaking study ions and protons to understand all the, you know, my channel. I'm a channel and anybody can be a channel. You just have to trust yourself and allow the information in. My channel just kept opening up new possibilities and new information and new expansion for me to look at. Can you explain what a channel is? Yeah. A channel is anybody that opens themselves to receive all the highest information that's out there. So all the information is hanging out right above your head. But like the good book says, you have to ask for it. Ask and you receive. Most people don't understand, though, that the original Hebrew meaning of ask is claim or demand. So this will be delivered to me. It's a powerful statement, not a, oh gosh, if if I'm worthy statement. So little kids channel all the time. That's why they have imaginary friends. They're getting information. Like one of my good friends adopted this little baby. And when he was about three or four years old, they came to a traffic stop and he pointed to a big semi across the street and said, mommy, see that truck? That's how I died the last time with my other mommy. Wow. Well, you're connected to energy anytime you hold an intention to connect. I do privates for people from all over the world on the phone. I don't have to be with them. I don't have to look at them. I open myself up to receiving the highest information for them. In other words, a channel is when you get out of the way and allow the information to come in. Is this spirits or? No, it's energy. Just that they're understanding the energy. Okay. It's like Einstein said, you know, most of his enormous breakthroughs didn't come through scientific work. It came through his imagination. That's how I act. I didn't know I was channeling when I acted. But that's what I do. I get out of the way and let the character tell me what to do. That's fascinating. That's really cool. And anyone can become a channel. You just have to open yourself up to the... Absolutely. And then you have to trust yourself. And that's an ongoing... So when I started out, I would work with friends for a long time. And then I had an acting studio. What happened was people would get up to do a scene and I would... I would start downloading information about where their blocks were and their lives started to change and their acting started to change. And then their parents wanted to work with me and then their friends. And now I've got clients all over the world. That's pretty cool. And if someone wants to work with you, they just go to your website, imdwallace.com. Yep. Yep. Imdwallace.com. And they can set up a private channeling experience with me. The best deal on the website is to sign up for a year, but you probably don't want to do that until you at least try one or two and see how it works for you. 
my work is a lot about teaching everybody to be their own power. Do you have an example of somebody that you worked with that was able to make a substantial change in their lives? Oh my God. I'm sure you got a million of them. (laughs) Well, you've read Born. I, you know, there's so many testimonials in there about how people have literally changed the dynamics in an office, increased their money, handled a health situation. A lot of the students that studied with me uh, have gone into some kind of the healing arts in channeling. So once you accept it and channel it for yourself, it gives you the ability to focus and help others? Absolutely. Again, you've got to get you out of the way. You don't want to get your answer. You want to get the highest answer, whether you agree with it or not. Oh, I hear you. Wake up in the middle of the night worrying about stuff. Okay, so let me tell you what my channel says about worry. Worrying is the biggest sin against energy that you can do because worrying about stuff puts all your focus on what you don't want. Right, that makes sense. And that's also putting your body through an emotional state because your body right. really can't tell the difference if you're worrying about something. If I'm worried you're gonna, something's going to happen to you, I'm creating that scenario in my body. I'm reacting no matter what. Whether that's something right. happens to you or not, I still put myself through that trauma. And why that's so important is because we're electrical beings. They measure our heart through an electrocardiogram, our brains through an electroencephalogram. So every thought and feeling we have has an electrical charge, which goes through our body and then shoots out into the universe, which, oh, just happens to be electromagnetic. When we shoot out positive or negatives, the universe looks for where it can plug into that charge. So if you're sending out positives, then the universe plugs in and sends you back positives. If you're plugging in negatives, the universe sends you back negatives. And you're creating it all. You're just not aware of it. Makes perfect sense. I believe it. I believe it. I've gone to some, uh, like Brian Tracy, I've heard him talk on the law of attraction and, and stuff like that. And where you, if you think about stuff, I know this this may sound silly, but like if you are driving to the mall, I've done this. And you're like, you're like hey, I'm going to find a parking spot up, up close. <laughs> If you, if you, if you're more likely to find one than if you put out that there's never going to be a spot. I'm going to end up parking so far away. Yeah. Now I would correct one thing that you did. Okay. I wouldn't force it. The universe doesn't react to force. I'm going to get me a spot. You know, I would love to park up front and find a spot. You know, universe, just find me a spot. I like that. You're right. That's less pressure on the universe. And And you. (laughs) And you. It's true though, but I mean, maybe sometimes I do it right, sometimes I do it wrong, but it works. I mean, you, what, you yeah. th- what you think about manifests, I believe in that. I don't do enough of it. I'm not saying I've, I've it well, all mastered it. I enjoyed anyway. your book. You, you've outlined a really nice process in your book. Thank you. On how to kind of go through everything. It's short and easy to read, which I love. Yeah. It's easy to digest and I believe in it. It's just hard to sometimes do it. Okay. All right. Stop right there. So you just directed the energy of you to make it hard. I am failing. Got it? Right. So whether you believe it yet or not, you want to claim it. This stuff is easy. Creation is easy. Going to New York and being a successful actress, that's exciting and fun, right? Everybody said, oh my God, it's so dangerous. Are you kidding? You really think you've got a shot? At, you know, you don't know anybody. And I just went, you know, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to see. I just, like I met a guy at an audition. He took me to a party. At the end of the party, three people came up and said, can you come by the office on Monday? We think we'd like to work with you. And I went, sure. What do you do? Well, they were the biggest commercial agents in New York. That's awesome. I ended up doing over 200 commercials. Wow. Which is a pretty good livelihood while you're, instead of waiting tables, trying to be an actor. That's amazing. That's a, so how do, you, how do you balance in pros and cons when trying to make a decision? Or do you only focus on the pros? I only focus on the pros. I go to my heart. See, most of us are taught to go to our minds to make a decision. 
minds are made to question and doubt. So you're not going to get what you truly want if you go to your mind. If you go to your heart, you'll know. You'll know you want to go to New York. You'll know that you want to do this movie, right? Right. Sometimes my agent goes, oh my God, do you, do you really want to do this movie for this money? And I, I'll say, I got to do this part. And then something magical will happen and they'll get more money or it'll become a little film that becomes a cult classic. You have to follow your own knowing and we're taught not to. We're taught to doubt ourselves. You can't open your channel when you're doubting yourself. You are correct. And I appreciate you calling me out along the way here. It's, it's, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> no, I'm I mean, just, I mean it because it just, I'm it just helps. Because, well, because it, it's like you don't even realize you're doing it. Like when you said, no, Jeff, that's wrong. I'm like, what? I was trying, I thought I was being right. And like, <laughs> I know. That's why all my work is called conscious creation. Because you you do, you have to remain conscious. It's a retraining of your brain is what it is. You know, anybody that says, well, here, listen to this blank CD and your whole life will change. I'm not a big believer in that because I know that we're given free will and we have to learn to exercise the power of that free will on this plane. Right. And I agree with you. You go to a seminar or something like that. It, it gets you going for like a day, a week. Thank you. You've outlined in your book here a plan that you can live with, something that holds yourself accountable to, something you have to work at every day, which I've learned. Well, or have fun playing with. Brilliantly in this. <laughs> right you know, I, I like that that perspective better. It's a lot more fun playing with creation than working at it. I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. When the pandemic hit, the channel said, you know, just get up every day and say, what can I create? It's amazing how much stuff was created during that time. Unbelievable. I had one of the best years I've ever had. And stuff came from places that I couldn't have possibly imagined. I hear Cujo in the background. I got up one day and I said, all right, what can I create today? And the first thing I heard was write the book. This podcast was uh, created during COVID. So yeah, I mean, you're right. Always create, look for the love, let love guide you. Yep. Turn on your heart light as Neil That's Diamond. That's right, baby. Dee, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. This was so cool. Where can people keep up with you on the web and social and all that? Instagram is at the D Wallace. Twitter is at D underscore Wallace. And Facebook is D Wallace. So there you go. And my website is I am dwallace.com. There's so much stuff on there, guys. There's a lot of free stuff to get you started. If you're interested in researching this, there's a great past life regression that Dolores Cannon did when I toured with her. Dolores Cannon is probably the premier past life regressionist at the time. There's just a lot of free stuff. If you want to go on and see what I'm about, go play. Your choice. Awesome. I'll put links to all that in the show notes too. So I, no one has to memorize every version of D Wallace that you created. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, <laughs> it's all I good. Said, it's all good. Thank you so much. This was really such a pleasure. It really was. Yeah, it was a blast for me. I loved hearing all about this. It's amazing. Thank you for everything. You're welcome, Jeff. You've got a really, really incredibly beautiful energy. Oh, thank you. You do. You do. <laughs> It's really sweet, pure energy. I bet your kids are just beautiful, aren't they? They are. They are. Yeah. But my wife says it's because of her. <laughs> well, like attracts like. So true, there you go. True. There you go. Go be happy and blessings and have a great, fabulous holiday season. Thank you, Dee. You too. Thanks. All right. How amazing was Dee Wallace? Oh, it was such an honor and pleasure to speak with Dee. Love talking about Cujo and the howling and E.T. and the Hills Have Eyes. So many great stories. And definitely check out Dee's book, Born. I've read it myself. It's really great. 
I really encourage you to pick it up. It's an easy read, especially if you need some guidance and motivation in your life and some direction. It helps you really kind of focus. It's really great. And I'll put links to the book and everything in the show notes. You can check that out. Well, with the interview over, I guess that can only mean one thing. It's time for another trending hashtag from the world of hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app on Google or Apple Play stores. It's free, always free. Play along and one day one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag comes from the Unlikely Game, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. Hashtag Unlikely Signs from the Universe. The universe is always talking to us. As we learned in today's episode, we just have to learn to take it in and accept it. But you can imagine there may be some unlikely signs we have to look out for as well. And that's what our friends on Twitter did as they explored hashtag unlikely signs from the universe. I'm going to share a few of my favorites. Tweet one yourself. Tag us at Jeff Dewaskin Show. I'll respond. Can't wait to see it. As always, all these tweeters that I'm about to read their tweets will be retweeted at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter. Show them some love. All right, let's have a good time and explore some hashtag unlikely signs from the universe. You're suddenly hit by a horseshoe. That's clearly a sign that you should be betting on horses or perhaps that the horse thought you were a fly. The sidewalk suddenly ends. Well, if you're a rabbit, that might mean you made a wrong turn at Albuquerque. What's up, Doc? You bump into a helpful employee at Walmart. That's the universe telling you you're not at Walmart. You have no idea where you actually are. The river runs red with gazpacho. That means you're hungry. That's the universe and your stomach. That's what that growling sound is. A spaceship lands on Planet Fitness. That could either mean that they have the best fitness in the universe or that somebody from another planet wants to tell you you're kind of wasting your time. It could mean anything. You just got to let that one play out. Here's another one. Netflix quits asking if you're still watching. That's a clear indicator that the universe and Netflix have both given up on you. You stumble upon sausage and gravy-flavored Oreos. That is the universe seeing if you will eat anything. You get everything on your list to Santa. That is the universe telling you it's finally okay for you to brag that your mama always said you were the best boy around. And a final hashtag unlikely signs from the universe tweet that I will be sharing with you today. The alphabet serial spells out instructions. That's clearly the universe and or your wife telling you to clean the basement. Oh, those are some fantastic hashtag unlikely signs from the universe. Definitely go tweet your own. And of course, get the hashtag Roundup app. Play along with us. We play every day, all day. It's so much fun. I'll look for you out there. Well, with the hashtag done, it can only mean one thing. Episode 86 has come to a close. Can you believe it? Another episode has come and gone. But you're in luck. There'll be a bonus episode Thursday. And there's 85 other episodes to listen to if you got some catching up to do. I do want to thank my special guest, Dee Wallace, for joining me today. Had a great time talking to her. Definitely check out her book, Born. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.